Welcome to this Walnut Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to our special Walnut Wednesday report, we'll bring you a look at national and regional agricultural news here on the show today. And I'll start things off with a look at regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Pest Exclusion Branch is announcing one midterm vacancy on the Industrial Hemp Advisory Board. The board was established by the California Industrial Hemp Farming Act and is comprised of 13 members. The term of office for board members is three years. The advisory board makes recommendations to the CDFA secretary in all matters pertaining to industrial hemp laws and regulations, enforcement, annual budgets, and setting of an assessment rate required to accomplish the purposes of the California California's industrial hemp law. Members meet at least once per year, but may meet more frequently if needed. The members receive no compensation, but are entitled to payment of necessary traveling expenses in accordance with the rules of the California Department of Human Resources. The board has a vacancy for a registered grower of industrial hemp. The successful candidate will be appointed to serve the remainder of a term, which expires on May 31st of 2023. Individuals interested in being considered for this board appointment should send a letter of interest and a brief resume to the Industrial Hemp Program by Monday, January 31st. For additional information, emails, and addresses, log on to the California Department of Food and Agriculture website. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has released a revised definition of the waters of the United States rule to redefine waters protected under the Federal Clean Water Act. This new rule will replace the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. California Farm Bureau President Jamie Johansson expressed his concerns on behalf of farmers, ranchers, and agricultural businesses in the state. He said this rule will have a substantial effect on our members and the ability of our farmers and ranchers in California to continue to utilize our land. He says they are particularly concerned about small farms and ranches needing costly legal or consulting expertise to farm ground they have already thoughtfully and sustainably stewarded. The Bureau of Land Management has announced a public meeting to solicit feedback on utility-scale solar energy planning. The Bureau of Land Management is considering updates to its 2012 Western Solar Plan that included six southwestern states, which include Arizona, California, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, and Utah. BLM is seeking comments on expanding its solar planning to include five more states, which include Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming. The first meeting is scheduled for January 18th in Sacramento, California, and and is one of a series being held in January and February in various western states. BLM Director Tracy Stone Manning says the BLM is committed to expanding renewable energy development on public lands. The public comment period will remain open for 15 days after the last public scoping meeting on February 6th, whichever is later. Programmatic Environmental Impact Statement was published in a federal register on December 8th. Learn more about the meetings at blm.gov. 
Also from the BLM today, they are seeking public comments on a plan to expedite fuels reduction treatments and fire protection efforts near high fire risk areas on public lands in 44 counties throughout California and northwest Nevada. The statewide Wildland Urban Interface Fuels Treatments Programmatic Environmental Assessment aims to facilitate projects on approximately 900,000 acres of public land near rural communities. The BLM is adding another tool for their wildfire prevention and protection toolbox. That, according to BLM California State Director Karen Mortensen, she says this initiative is designed to streamline on-ground projects to reduce hazardous fuel and to double down on their efforts to protect local communities. Sumo Citrus, the wildly popular award-winning mandarin known for its next-level sweetness, texture, and distinct look, will burst back into the fruit aisles this month. The most pampered fruit in the world, painstakingly grown and meticulously cared for by a select group of expert farmers for eight months, Sumo Citrus will harvest its largest crop to date for the upcoming 2023 season, doubling the amount of fruit from the previous season. This season, customers will find the world's favorite fruit at more stores than ever before, with increased distribution across North America and now including Canada. Derived from Satasuma orange, the mandarin citrus varieties, Sumo citrus was originally cultivated in Japan in the 1970s by a single grower who set out to develop the perfect citrus fruit. The fruit quickly became known as the decapon in Japan. It's reference to its distinctive top knot and eventually made its way to California's San Joaquin Valley, where the highly trained expert growers who know its unique characteristics are able to cultivate it. In 2022, the fruit brand saw tremendous growth and received multiple awards from the trusted expert media outlets, including Good Housekeeping and The Kitchen. Good Housekeeping named Sumo Citrus 2022 Best Citrus in the Powerhouse Produce category for its highly regarded Healthy Snack Awards, calling the fruit juicy and seedless. Now in its 13th season, Sumo Citrus will be landing in more fruit aisles than previous seasons with expanded distribution across the United States and Canada, often creatively and uniquely displayed by the brand's retail partners in its eye-catching purple boxes. Sumo Citrus is easily recognizable in the fruit aisle thanks to its huge size, bumpy, bright orange skin, and unique top knot. Each individual fruit also dones a sizable produce sticker sporting the brand's iconic orange and purple logo. Church Brothers Farms of Salinas, California is expanding their retail value-added lineup with three new items. They include green beans, sugar snap peas, and snow peas. All three products are washed, ready to enjoy, and offered in 12-ounce, 8-ounce, and 6-ounce packs, respectively. The sugar snap peas are sweet and are stringless. The company began shipping select retail value-added items under the Church Brothers brand in 2021. These new items round out their lineup of Church Brothers branded convenience vegetables for retail, which now totals over 20 SKUs. That, according to Alex McCloskey, Vice President of Retail Business Development. Church Brothers Farms is a vertically integrated family-owned and operated company that produces a full line of fresh vegetables year-round. They have an in-house farming harvest program and state-of-the-art processing plants in the U.S. and Mexico. They have been producing vegetables in the Salinas Valley for multiple generations. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9000.
1-800-269-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. Walnut growers had a lot to think about in 2022, and crop quality and yield were important considerations given current pricing. From the nurseryman's perspective, variety and rootstock choice can play a role in this, and industry has been learning a lot from recent developments. On the variety side, Wolfskill continues to perform well for walnuts, although it's still early to make inclusions, Agrimayora nurseryman Cliff Bumel said at last week's California Walnut Conference in Yuba City. What we've seen is, and including this harvest in the initial trials um, uh, that are out there, that the, the, it's still very early harvesting, big edible yield, good nut quality. Uh, I've talked to, talk to the guys in the uh, UC Davis breeding program, and uh, their, their crack out looks good. So Wolfskill still looks really promising. Some anecdotal information, I know of a, a trial row um, that's like fourth leaf and it's kind of sandwiched between some Durham and some Chandler and it really outproduced both as far as uh, yield um, and then edible yield was excellent. So wolf skill still looks really, really promising to be that variety that not only gets us an early harvest, but with the conditions in the walnut industry gets us that extra edible yield and that extra overall yield that might be the difference between a losing year and a, a, a winning year. Uh, the easy the easy days of any variety will make you money seems to be over and so wolf skill still looks promising to be that sort of incremental improvement if you will um, to supplement all the Chandlers and all the Howards and all the Tulares that everybody already has. Bumel said new plantings are probably not going to be seen for some time in the walnut industry. He did however note that replantings will likely be seen on marginal walnut ground whether that's with walnuts or a different crop. Different rootstock choices conducive to the ground will be a factor at play. What we've really started to see is rootstocks, as, as, root, as the plantings have gone into these replant orchards and the, the challenges, there's multiple challenges in those sites, we've seen rootstocks really start to differentiate. Ten years ago, it was very much any clone works because it's all new ground, it's all virgin ground. Well, there have been, these rootstocks have been selected to work um, in situations where there's challenges. And so what we've really seen is a real divide. I think you see Vlach and VX211, anytime there's challenges like replant disorder, nematodes, things like that, even though VX211 was selected to supposedly be good, good with nematodes, you really, and we have good trials to show this and good demonstration orchards, Vlach and VX211 really fall off as soon as there's challenges. Whereas what we see is the new rootstock grizzly really was selected from a replant orchard back in the 90s and seems to be performing excellently uh, with these multiple challenges in replant. And RX1 actually is also performing pretty well in those situations, even though oddly it was selected 15 years ago just as a, a rootstock that was going to handle Phytophthora but make a small tree. Um, but this was all extrapolation. There weren't actually trials for this. So I would say that grizzly and RX1 seem to be rising to the top as Vlach and VX211 start to become less interesting based on the facts. And Vlach especially, it gets, it gets quite a bit of crown gall. So um, why plant a clonal rootstock if you're going to get crown gall? RX1 and Grizzly are showing promise for the industry with multiple benefits known thus far, Bumel said. With Grizzly, as I mentioned, it is a rootstock that uh, was selected from a production tree in an existing orchard that was planted in the 90s, a replant orchard of Tulare's. Uh, on, on open pollinated paradox rootstock. And 
what occurred there was it was a very challenging site, uh, being a replant orchard, uh, nematodes came back, oat root fungus, uh, some years it gets seepage. And so it was quite a mess, and this one tree just really performed brilliantly compared to all the others. So about 15 years ago now, cloned it, started testing it to see if it was just a lucky tree or if that particularly one paradox rootstock was had genetics that helped it thrive in these challenging situations and all the trials and small first orchards that have been planted are showing that yes it's it's there's a genetic difference there that's helping it excel in situations with uh with, with all the challenges that any walnut grower would know that you get in a replant orchard whether you are able to fumigate or not eventually the nematodes come back the diseases are there from it being in walnuts for the 40 or 50 years previously and so genetically it is a Northern California black crossed with probably a sir, is what the geneticists tell us. So it's nothing exotic, but it it is this one this is one tree out of hundreds of thousands that seem to really thrive in these challenging situations. So that's that's grizzly and it's it's performing statistically the best in some in, in some of these trials of replant orchards and in re, in new replant orchards. RX1, as I mentioned, is interesting because it was sort of selected, bred and selected just to handle uh, situations where there was Phytophthora. This is in 2010, it was, the belief was it would make a small tree, but if you had really bad Phytophthora problems, at least you could get a tree to survive. But it really, there hadn't been a lot of testing done of these rootstocks because the industry needed something new in order to combat crown gall. So they really were somewhat rushed to market. And what we've really learned is you watch in RX1 wasn't going to grow anywhere where there's nematodes and wasn't going to grow anywhere where there's sand and stuff like that. But it's a very, just like grizzly, it's a very stress tolerant rootstock. And so a lot of what happens when you're dealing with the challenges of the replant orchard is it converts to just being very stressful for the tree. And so we can go out on a hot summer's day right before an irrigation and we can actually see in a replant orchard, we can pressure bomb trees on Vlatch, VX211, RX1, and Grizzly, and we can actually see that uh, the day before the next irrigation that the, the trees on Grizzly and RX1 are, are less water stressed by using a pressure bomb. So, um, but stress tolerance also is a much more difficult thing to explain. You sort of know it when you see it. And that's really what's happening in a replant orchard is there's multiple stresses, and some rootstocks are better able through its vigor and through its adaptability to handle it. So that's what an RX1 has that as well. So that probably explains why even in the presence of some nematode pressure and low fertility and things like that, that it's actually, it blows the doors off of something like VX211 and Vlatch, um, as does Grizzly. And it all comes back to sort of a stress tolerance um, in these rootstocks that help them not shut down when there's the replant, there's the replant um, problems in the soil, but then you also get 110, 115 degrees, that's another stress, trees shut down. They just don't grow that week. And so this is where the stress tolerance comes in. Boomel said he's confident that the walnut industry will continue to see improvements on the side of rootstocks and varieties and how they influence an operation in the bottom line. I think the walnut breeding program, UC Davis continues on. Uh, I continue being very interested in the walnut industry. Uh, it's a passion of mine. Uh, we're doing a lot of trials with whole orchard recycling and looking at how these rootstocks work in whole orchard recycling because at some point we're not going to be able to burn these old orchards. And as I said, most of the most of the plantings of walnuts going forward in California will be replant orchards. And so I think it's a continuum. Yes, we're going to continue to see improvements. The walnut breeding program at Davis is still working on advanced varieties that improve 
vastly. As we always say, if Chandler, if Chandler was a brand new variety in the breeding program, it would never get past the first round. It would be thrown out because of its low edible yield um, and its late harvest. But proving a new variety is tough. It only takes one small Achilles heel to sink an otherwise perfect variety or a very good variety. And so Wolf Skill has looked great, but it may fail for some reason. So the work continues there. The work continues on evaluating rootstocks. And really something like Grizzly, we're just at the beginning uh, I mean, it's well proven in that we've had a long time to prove it out, but most growers haven't heard of it or planted it. So the incremental improvements are there, and I think they'll still, they'll still keep coming. And it's going to be really important because every penny is going to count. Every bit of profit, every bit, every nut you can get out of an orchard is going to be important going forward. Hasn't been so important in the past where, where the prices were high enough that uh, you could take suboptimal performance and still make a nice profit in your wallet orchard. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Chalstrom. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack welcomed the swearing-in of Jose Emilio Esteban as the Undersecretary for Food Safety at the Department of Agriculture. Vilsack says that Dr. Esteban has a long and well-documented commitment to food safety and public health. Esteban was appointed Chief Scientist of the USA Food Safety and Inspection Service in August of 2018. Esteban joined the Office of Public Health Science at FSIS in 2002. In 2008, he was appointed as the FSIS Science Advisor for laboratory services, where he harmonized the operation of all three FSIS laboratories. Before joining FSIS, Esteban worked in several positions at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. He received his doctorate in veterinary medicine from Mexico's National University, and Vilsack adds that he is confident that Dr. Esteban's leadership and experience is the right combination to advance a commitment to maintaining public health and reducing foodborne illness. Canada is a bright spot for U.S. ethanol exports, while China with its tariffs continues to lag as an ethanol market. Ethanol exports to Canada continue to soar despite its barriers to other U.S. farm-related exports like dairy. Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper. Canada continues to grow in terms of its uh, imports of U.S. ethanol. It is far and away the, the leading a destination for ethanol exports leaving this country. And it's been the most consistent market for, for U.S. ethanol producers as well. It's been very steady, very predictable. And when you're talking about export markets, that's exactly what you're looking for. We've seen so much volatility in some of these other markets that it's been great to have a reliable trade partner in Canada. Which has not been the case with China and its continuing large tariff on U.S. ethanol. China has maintained that 35% tariff on ethanol imports from the U.S., and and that's made it cost prohibitive to sell into that marketplace. There's been a a few drips and drabs that have gone into China this past year, but nothing significant and certainly nothing close uh, to the volumes that we saw flowing to China several years ago. Brazil, in the meantime, again suspended through the end of this month its 20% ethanol tariff, but still only imported some 60 to 80 million gallons last year, a fraction of pre-tariff levels. 
The United States and Taiwan will hold an in-person negotiating round for the U.S.-Taiwan initiative on 21st century trade in Taipei. The negotiations under the American Institute in Taiwan and the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office in the United States. The next round of talks is scheduled for January 14th through the 17th. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office will lead the U.S. delegation through Assistant United States Trade Representative Terry McCartan and include representatives from several other U.S. government agencies. The negotiation process started in June of 2022, launching the U.S.-Taiwan Initiative on 21st Century Trade. The initiative is intended to develop concrete ways to deepen the economic and trade relationship, advance mutual trade priorities based on shared values, and promote innovation and inclusive economic growth for workers and businesses, including through new trade agreements. The two sides met last November, holding two days of discussion in New York. The next deadline for the Conservation Stewardship Program applications to be considered for funding this year is February 10th. Through CSP, USA's Natural Resources Conservation Service helps farmers, ranchers, and forest landowners earn payments for expanding conservation activities while maintaining agricultural production on their land. CSP also encourages the adoption of new technologies and management techniques. While applications are accepted throughout the year, interested producers should submit applications to their local NRCS office by the deadline to ensure they are considered for 2023 funding. Incomes for dairy operators increased in 2022, but what's the outlook for this year? USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. Even though the price of feed for dairy cattle was up during 2022. Dairy was one of the components that did pretty well when we looked at farm income for 2022. USDA's chief economist Seth Meyer cash receipts for milk went up by 38 percent this past year. Some of that being eaten up by increased feed costs and we look out next year still decent margins but milk prices coming down a little bit into the new year. Meyer expects producers will get an average of 22.70 a hundredweight for milk in 2023. That's about an 11 and a half percent decline from 2022 mostly driven by a softening of prices for many dairy products like butter and cheese. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And consumers enjoyed a bit of relief at both a gas and diesel pump to wrap up 2022. Fuel prices started to fall in some locations in early November and continue through December, thanks to dropping oil prices and economic uncertainty in the U.S. and also in China. But the question is, will these prices continue to fall in the months ahead? Patrick DeHaan with GasBuddy says as he looks to 2023, he is hopeful the new year will not be a record-setting one. Beyond that, there remain a lot of wild cards. That could see gas prices going uh, uh, potentially above uh, $4 a gallon. Uh, But it's been a little difficult to uh, forecast accurately so far out. Uh, And it may be, uh, again, in the year ahead, so long as uh, we uh, continue to see challenges like COVID and Russia's war in Ukraine. Oil prices have been trending on the upside, with West Texas crude recently moving above the $80 per barrel mark. And gas prices spiked upwards last week, ending two months of decline. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. 
JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.